programming taught me an interesting life lesson, and it's this. Be a stickler for the details. You see, getting the thing to work is only half the battle. You're not done. Not even close. Yes, make it functional, but then make it readable. Uh, should it be flexible, then do that too. And certainly make it beautiful. I'm reminded of years ago, listening to programming conference talks uh, as a junior. And in a lecture about clean code, the speaker would, I don't know, emphasize the benefits of one-liners or, or, or methods that consist of just one line of code, one-line methods. Uh, they'd continue and try to optimize for no conditionals, they'd say. And these words would <laughs> travel through my ears and then instantly reverse course uh, as if my as if my brain responded with a 404 code. Sorry, not found. And so I'd say, well, but how? How do you do that? How I don't. How do you write code where there's only one line per method? I'd say that in frustration uh, toward my computer at my computer, and then my wife would would jolt awkwardly towards me, and she'd say, "Who are you talking to?" And I'd have to say, "Oh, no, nobody. Sorry, never mind." It just didn't compute at that stage in my career. I would think, if I make the code work, why do I then need to refactor and create all of these one-line methods? And besides, what is so bad about a conditional? You know, yeah, yada, yada, complexity. But who cares if it works? This is all dumb, uh, I would think to myself. And then... I would, of course, congratulate myself for my unearned arrogance. Nonetheless, as the years have gone by, I've slowly grown to appreciate the wisdom in such advice. No, they're not blanket requirements, they rarely are, but as something to at least aim for, I think the advice is pretty good. Uh, like this, uh, multiple pathways through your code increases the likelihood of bugs. So every time you add another pathway, you introduce uh, more opportunity for bugs. Let's put it that way. Uh, what else? Uh, polymorphism, uh, instead of conditionals or switch statements or things like that, uh, can be an excellent way to reduce complexity. True. Uh, whatever this thing I'm doing over here, give it a name. Assign a name to the thing. That's good advice. Uh, and then again, be a stickler for the details. There it is. It strikes again. That same phrase, be a stickler for the details. Uh, it slowly sort of grabs you by the collar, I think, and it refuses to let go. And suddenly you fast forward and you find yourself obsessively scanning your code base in search of problems. I think we've all done this at some point or another. And we think, how might I rewrite this file to be simpler, maybe more to the point? Because it's a mess. It's a mess currently. And then that other file over there, I feel actual anxiety every time I'm forced to open it. How can I fix it? So interestingly, and I expect actually that I'm not alone in this realization, uh, I found that I apply this level of intense analysis to my everyday life. 
uh, my youth. I, I was, uh, I'm getting old now because I speak of my youth. I never did that before, but now I say the word youth, uh, <laughs> which is kind of sad. I shouldn't do that. Anyways, while my youth was quite messy, uh, as my mom would, would definitely testify, these days I really do find enjoyment in annoying my family each weekend with with requests to optimize our lives or homes uh, in some form or another. So I'll say to them, happy Saturday, folks. It's project time. Uh, And of course, they've learned to dread this word project. It's say it turns out it is a trigger word for seven year olds. And they'd say my daughter will say, "Uh oh, dad's at it again. And I'll go, hmm, what about this weekend? How about how about each of us grabs a garbage bag and we don't stop until we fill them to the brim with goodwill donations? What do you say? I mean, come on, your bedroom closet, Sunny, who's my daughter, Sunny, your bedroom closet is quickly becoming a hazard. We need to do something here. And she'll say no. And she will recoil uh, with hesitation. I don't want to give away my toys. And then I have to go, okay, I know, honey. But look, some of these you have not touched in a year. That is 12 months. Come on. That's the rule. It's time to pass it on to some other kid who will enjoy it. It's the right thing to do. So what do you say? Uh, I tell her. And she hears me. Uh, And I think once again, the words go in her ears and then reverse course. And she goes, "Uh uh-uh, still no. (laughs) But, but, but. Programming has taught me, uh, never give up, stick with it. And like clockwork, you will always eventually work out the solution. So my kids and I eventually negotiate a compromise and a ceasefire. And lo and behold, later that day, I'm off to the Goodwill drop off with a bunch of bags of, of stuff we no longer need. And here's the thing. I genuinely feel better when I do that. It, it, it's almost as if I've completed this ancient ritual to cleanse myself of filth. All right, I'm being over the top, but you get the idea. You get what I mean. I don't know. I get it. Maybe this is kind of a, a Western uh, problem, but the longer you live a privileged but unfortunate and inevitable thing almost always happens. You increase your possession count. It's a reality. And again, it's, it's it's not necessarily an issue of materialism. Maybe it is, but I don't think of it as like a real problem of materialism. It just happens. And I'll give you an example. So years ago, I bought my kids two themed uh, rugs and we can pull it out from the closet and they can uh, ride their toy cars on it when they're watching a show or something like that. One of the rugs is themed to the Old West. So there's mountains and things like that. And then the other is full of like roads and fire stations and schools and street signs and they can drive their cars down it. It's pretty cool. And again, we can store it neatly in the closet. It's great. But here's what always happens no matter what the toy is or what the thing is. The following holiday, a family member or a friend will have the same idea. And then suddenly you wake up on December 26th, and now you have not two, but four rugs. Double the possessions, but never double the fun. And yeah, you just rinse and repeat for countless items around your house, and it's no wonder why so many of our homes become unwieldy. 
I mean, can you relate? And you know what? If you have kids, don't even answer. I know you can relate. Possessions, big and small, are like weights on our shoulders. Each of them is consecutively stacked in this endless tower of stuff, like like a reverse game of Jenga. And careful, don't let it fall or you lose the game. So yeah, if you're not a stickler for these things, you risk mental collapse from your garage or your storage closet, just full of junk that hasn't been touched in years. And here, even worse, the damage is compounding. So the more you ignore the garage or or whatever the garage is for your life, the more you ignore it, the harder it is to clean. Uh, It's sort of like, I don't know, um, like a legacy code base of 100,000 lines of code in zero tests, right? So you can grab a broom, uh, a figurative broom if you want, but it's not going to make a dent. And so in our homes, we just sort of ignore it, right? And at best, maybe, maybe you pat yourself on the back for considering a garage sale. You might even say to your spouse or your significant other, uh, one of these days... I'm going to get around to selling this stuff, and we might get, you know, $25 a pop for them. But then, you close the door, the items are now blissfully out of sight, and you return to your day. No garage sale this month. And it's not just the garage, of course. What about those, uh, those junk drawers in your kitchen? Or what about the shelf uh, in your office? I mean, why again, I'm looking at it right now, why again do I still have programming books from 2004? I didn't read them in 2004, and I'm still not reading them now, but I still have these possessions. And what's the deal with with your car trunk? Hasn't been orderly since the day you or I bought it, right? I mean, think about it. There's a reason why, if you're on holiday or vacation, when you check into a short-term rental, it often feels so refreshing. I mean, how nice is it to open the kitchen cabinet and see four glasses, not 40? Four plates, four bowls, four mugs, it's all you need. When I open my drawer, why do I have 50 butter knives? Or or maybe here's the more important question. Why am I so unwilling to reduce my 50 butter knives to Something a little more reasonable. How about 10? I'm unwilling to do it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy there, pony. We're getting just a tad bit crazy here. So close the silverware drawer and walk away. Okay, so here's my guess. You and I are probably more alike than we are different. We both chose the same career, probably, right? If nothing else, we know that for certain. So why? Why was programming a magnet or a beacon for you? What specifically was the, um, was the pull? It surely wasn't, if you're like me, it surely wasn't growing up around Hollywood's <laughs> ridiculously condescending representation of the, the annoying Dorito-fingered hacker, always lives in his mom's basement, is always yelling or screaming at the mom uh, on the floor above, Right. So what was it? Uh, well, maybe it's tough to say, but let's try this. Uh, let's play a game. Give yourself a point uh, for each description that matches your personality to some extent. All right. Number one, 
You enjoy puzzles and riddles. Give yourself a point if that's true. Next one. You get a kick out of peeling back the curtain and learning how things work behind the scenes. Here's another one. You are naturally a problem solver. Next one. Uh, you, you view your education as a long-term goal rather than what many people do, which is something you check off as soon as you graduate high school or college. Here's another one. Um, writing beautiful code is something that you maybe unnecessarily obsess over. I mean, that alone, why is that important to you? Why is beautiful code important to you? And when you miss the mark, as we all frequently do, why do you punish yourself for it? I think programming is like boot camp for conscientiousness. If you weren't born with that particular trait, and I sure wasn't, uh, I think you've been given an incredible gift. And if we deny it from overflowing from the programming world into our everyday lives, uh, we're doing ourselves and our families a gigantic disservice. We give up a lot every day as we stare at our computer screens for hours at a time in search of bugs and inconsistencies and what have you. We better get something lasting and real in return for all of that effort. All right, so the next time you open your storage closet or whatever it is in your life and you gasp, remember that you're a programmer. Fixing problems is what we do. And by the way, if you don't want to address it soon, well, don't complain when your life turns into the physical manifestation of that horrible, untested legacy code base that we all fear. And I wouldn't wish that on anyone. 